This is session seven. Thank you for listening to the Adult Explore the Bible Weekly Leader Training Podcast. This podcast is designed to help teachers prepare to lead a Bible study group using LifeWay's Explore the Bible adult resources. Each week, we review the Bible passage for that week's study, examine some questions teachers may face, and give some teaching tips along the way. I'm Dwayne McCrary, your host, and today I'm being joined by Mike Livingston. Mike was with us uh, two or three weeks, well, three weeks ago now, I guess, you've done you when we were looking at Philippians. Now we're beginning our study of Colossians. We're looking at Colossians chapter 1, 9 through 23. So, Mike, thank you for being with us again this week. Glad to be here. Thank you. As I mentioned, we're looking at Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 23. We've outlined these verses in these titles, Set Free by Christ Through His Death. Those titles are very important because they really set the tone for the rest of Colossians, that we are set free by Christ through His death. So that first point, set free, looks at Colossians 1, 9 through 14. In these verses, after introducing himself and expressing thanksgiving for the believers in Colossae, Paul told of his prayer for their spiritual growth. He reminded them of the position they now had as a result of Christ's redemption and forgiveness. A key verse in here is verse 10, where he tells them to walk worthy. And then he begins to provide a list of actions and responses to our salvation. We need to note that that response, that walk worthy, is in response to salvation. The main point here in this section is that Christ enables believers to live a God-honoring life. The second point, by Christ, looks at verses 15 through 20 of Colossians 1. In these verses, Paul elaborated on Christ being supreme as creator of all things and as head of the church. Paul emphasized that Christ secured salvation through his death on the cross, pleasing the Father. The main point in these verses is that Christ has the power to free us from sin. That leads us into the last point, through his death, which is in verses 21 through 23. In these verses, Paul reminded the Colossian believers that they were once separated from God by their evil actions, but were reconciled to God through the death of Jesus. Paul challenged them to remain faithful to the gospel, which had been proclaimed to them by Paul. The main point in these verses is that Christ's death makes it possible for people to be reconciled to God. We're starting our study of Colossians, Mike. Let's explore a little bit about Paul's relationship with the Colossians. Had he been to Colossae? I mean, what do we know about his relationship with these, these folks? Well, we don't actually know a, a great deal. Uh, he, he had he brought up the, the fact, you know, had, had he been there? No, he had not been there. Uh, we know that um, in chapter 2, verse 1, he, he says that basically, uh, that they had never seen him or met him in person. So they didn't, they didn't know each other personally. So, you know, there, there was, hey, there was one other church that Paul wrote a letter to without ever having visited that church, which oh. was, yeah. Rome. I put Rome, yeah. But I put you on the spot. Yeah, it was Rome. Yeah. Okay, Rome. good. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, yeah, those are the two churches that he wrote to without having visited those churches first. So Paul was not directly involved in starting um, 
the church at Colossae, not, not directly involved. Uh, it, it was probably started by Epaphras. And he, Epaphras is mentioned both in the first and the last chapters of this little letter. And <clears throat> more than likely, Epaphras had met Paul during Paul's stay in Ephesus during that period, three-year period that Paul ministered in Ephesus. Ephesus was only about 100 miles from Colossae. So Epaphras was likely the one who <clears throat> he'd met Paul, maybe in Ephesus or near Ephesus, and then took the gospel home and was involved in starting this church. And we know that Epaphras was with Paul when he wrote this letter, because Paul says towards the end there, Epaphras sends you greetings. So they, they were together. Epaphras visited him in prison, told him about the situation in the church, specifically about the false teaching that was threatening the church. So Paul wrote the letter in response to that news that he had received from Epaphras concerning the church. Now, his relationship with the church was based on, the, on his role as an apostle. Um, as, you, as you read the letter, you, you get us the sense that Paul felt that the church at Colossae was his responsibility. Even though he had never been there, hadn't met the members, or, you know, most of the members, they, they had never met. But you get the sense in reading it that he, he felt that it was his responsibility. And, and it was uh, because God called him to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Paul used that that phrase in, in Romans, the other letter he wrote to without having visited that he was an apostle to the Gentiles, and this was a primarily Gentile church. And when he started this letter, I mean, the first words, Paul the apostle. Um, so as, as the apostle to the Gentiles, um, he felt a responsibility uh, based on what Epaphras had shared with him to write to them to, to help deal with this problem in the church. And that, that's basically what we know. In verse 15, Paul uses the phrase firstborn over all creation when talking about Jesus. Um, should we take that phrase firstborn over all creation to mean that Jesus has a starting place in history? I'm anticipating there's going to be folks in, in our groups that may jump to that conclusion. Um, you know, saying, saying that, thinking that has, that Christ had a starting point has led to all kinds of heresies in the church throughout the, the history of the church, from Arianism, a uh, heresy named for Arius back in the early fourth century AD, who said that Jesus was created by God and was the first act of creation, <clears throat> you know, from that uh, to Jehovah, Jehovah Witnesses today, who understand this, uh, this passage, this verse, to mean that Christ was the first created being, that he was not eternal, not God. Uh, that's not what it's saying at all. Uh, in the New Testament, the word firstborn, and it has a rich history, even going back into the Old, Old Testament, but just looking at the New Testament, the word is used eight times, and only one time is it used literally, in, in the sense of a, a physical birth or a, a literal beginning point. Only one time is it used that way, and that's in Luke 2, 7, talking about Mary she gave birth to her firstborn son. Hmm. That's, that's the only time it's used in that sense. Every other time it's used uh, you know, figurative, figuratively, metaphorically. So here in you know, Colossians, here in the 15th verse, uh, he's, he's the firstborn over all creation. And, and, and the language, you know, that's, the context is important. And, and, 
and how he says it's important. He's he's firstborn over creation. That's 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 significant over creation. He's not the firstborn of creation. He's not the firstborn in creation. He's the firstborn of create over over creation. And the word firstborn, I mean, in both Old and New Testaments, it it it's it's more about rank and status. Uh, <clears throat> what Paul had in mind was not time, but rank, not not a beginning point, but his status and position. So this is really about Christ's preeminence, his supremacy, his sovereignty over all things. That's that's really what what this is about. So it's like sitting in the first chair. Right. Yeah, that's it. That phrase is at the beginning of verse 15 or is in verse 15. Mm -hmm. And in verse 15 through 20, uh, many folks identify this as a hymn. Why is that a big deal for verses 15 through 20 to be considered a hymn? Well, it's, it's a big deal, I think, because it gives us a glimpse into the worship practices of the early church. Um, <clears throat> it, it tells us that they made much of Jesus when they worshiped. It tells us that they sang their convictions, that there was a, a theological depth to the hymns that they sang. Their hymns were theologically robust. <clears throat> you think about the fact that not only was this probably a hymn they sang, probably, uh, but also we not you know just a few weeks ago we looked at another passage that was probably a hymn in Philippians two, six through eleven. That's that was probably a hymn that focused on Jesus. I, one of the questions surrounding this hymn. <clears throat> is whether it was original to Paul. I mean, he, did he write this or is he incorporating a pre-existing hymn that the church already had and, you know, was already using? Did he incorporate that? Could be something they had been singing while in, in jail. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't, you know, can't really answer that question, it, though it seems to be the latter. It seems to be something that was already in existence. Uh, just from, you know, commentators point to just, you know, there's a little different flow, a different style in those verses than what surrounds it. So it probably indicates that it was it was a hymn that they already knew, already sang rather than one that Paul had just wrote there, you know, on the spot as he was writing this letter. And what all this means is that Paul used a hymn, a hymn of the church to correct bad theology. You think about it, I mean, the problem that he's addressing here is bad theology, it's, or it's false teaching that, that was threatening the church. So Paul is using their hymns, a hymn, to, to correct their theology. You know, I, am, I'm, I, I don't want to be accused of being critical of the songs that we sing in church today, because that's don't understand what I'm saying is being critical, because I love many of the songs we sing in church today. I do. But this just reminds the church that it, it reminds us that we need to sing hymns, songs that have some theological meat on them, you know, and, and that's what was happening. I, I think to answer your question, I think that's why this is, is significant. That's that's why this is, is a big deal, because their hymns, their songs had some some depth to them, some theological meat on them. And actually, Paul used their hymns to correct bad theology. They were big time teaching tools. Yeah. Uh, right. For the, and a way to remember 
mm-hmm. key doctrines. Yeah. Speaking of key doctrines, we see this word reconciliation uh, in, in this text. Uh, he reconciles us to himself. How do we help our groups get a handle on that in simple terms of reconciliation? Reconciliation is simply about relationships. It's just, it just means there's a change in, in a relationship. From a wrong relationship, you know, a wrong relationship made right, a broken relationship mended. Uh, it's about God bringing us into a right relationship with himself. Basically, I mean, that's, that's basically what it is. And, and there are some other words that Paul used around this um, that are relational in nature. You know, he, in verse 21, he uses the word alienated. You know, that's a relational word. It's a word that implies loneliness or isolation or, you know, the, being cut off and separated, not, not belonging, you know, all those things. That's what sin does. It separates, alienates us from God. He uses the word hostile. I mean, these are relational terms. And Christ brought about a change in, our, in this our broken relationship did it by making peace and that's in verse 20 that's another relational term making peace and the basic idea of the greek word for reconciliation is to exchange i mean that's the basic meaning of the words to exchange so in in reconciliation our alienation and hostility toward god is exchanged for peace in the new testament peace means more than just the absence of hostility it means relationship so we're no longer at war or hostile toward God, that we have a relationship with him. And all of this is because of the cross. Paul said in verse 20, it's through his blood shed on, a, on the cross. Um, that's, that's how there's a, a change in, in this relationship that we have with God. A thing that may help us when we're teaching this is pointing folks to the key doctrine, which is printed in the personal study guide and the daily discipleship guide. The key doctrine for this particular lesson is salvation and the focus is on justification and it defines justification this way justification brings the believer into a relationship of peace and favor with god like you were talking a lot about reconciliation being about relationship so is justification at this point it's about us being brought into a relationship of peace and favor with god and how important that is Uh, when we are thinking about what uh, Paul is talking about here with our relationship, uh, uh, us being alienated, but now being part of the family. Uh, Verse 23 is an intriguing verse uh, because it seems to leave the possibility that some of the Colossians were losing their salvation. How do we deal with this, that idea here in verse 23 when we're examining this passage? I think that question was not even on Paul's mind when he wrote this. And I know that would be on the mind of of many um, as they look at this or read this. I don't think that was, I don't think that's even what Paul is is thinking here. Um, If our salvation depends or keeping our salvation depends in any way on our faithfulness, none of us would have any hope of, of being saved in the end. Salvation is, is based on God's faithfulness, God's grace from, from beginning to end. It's about God's faithfulness and to us and his grace that he extends to us. 
Now here, there in verse 23, verse you're looking at there, um, <clears throat> starts with the word if, which we've said this in other passages before, even in this, this quarter of this study, that sometimes the word if in Greek means um, not, it, it doesn't express doubt, but confidence, actually. There's a, it's called in Greek, the first class conditional construction. Uh, but that's, that's not important. What is, what's important is that it's really constructed, the language here is constructed in a way that it is expressing more confidence than doubt. So Paul is saying, since you remain, or in view of the fact that you remain grounded, he's, he's confident that they were and would remain, would stay grounded and steadfast in the faith. He's confident of that. Now, remember, the context here is his concern that the church not be led away from the sound teaching of the gospel by these false teachers who were coming into the church. That was his concern in writing this letter. So in, in that understanding, in that context, he's, 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 he's expressing um, his concern that they stay anchored in the gospel that they had heard and believed. And he was confident that, that those who had believed would remain steadfast in the gospel. You know, any, any thorny theological question like, like this one that, that may be raised by this verse um, <clears throat> is one that you, you don't want to build your theology on one verse. <laughs> yeah. Not, you know, don't build your theology on something like that on the basis of one verse taken out of context. So Really one it, word. Uh, one word. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, you know, look at it in context and understand the intent behind what Paul is saying here. Look at the language, how it's constructed, all these things. Are there any other key ideas or thoughts that you would have uh, from this particular passage, Colossians 1, 9 through 23? Uh, <clears throat> no, I think we've, <laughs> I think we've covered uh, some of the, the this is a significant main things that, that might need to get talked about uh, as you teach this lesson. Well, Mike, thank you for joining us today, and thank you for listening to us today. Uh, if you have comments or questions, you're welcome to send us an email. Send me an email, particularly at Dwayne McCreary at LifeWay.com. That's D-W-A-Y-N-E dot M-C-C-R-A-R-Y at LifeWay.com, and I'll do my best to answer your question. If I don't know the answer, I'll find the right person and put you in contact with them so you can get that question answered. I hope you'll join us next week. Next week, we'll be looking at session eight. Drew Dixon will be joining me. We'll be looking at Colossians chapter one, verses 24 through chapter two, verse three, and be focusing on the spiritual transformation that should be our goal as followers of Christ. Mm -hmm.